Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. It's not always His will to pull you out of trouble. Know this about your Lord. It's not His will that you be fearful of anything or anybody but Him. If you live under the fear of anything today, if there's some kind of fear that controls you, if there's something that doesn't come from God that you walk in the fear of, you should today deal with that. Overcome that. Jump that hurdle. Get, don't let anything keep you captive to fear. You just want to fear the Lord. If it's not from Him, if it's not fear of Him. Whenever we as believers go through a trial, persecution, or otherwise, we're often quick to ask the Lord to bring it to an end. However, it's more often than that that the Lord uses such situations for us to grow in our faith and our reliance upon Him. As Pastor Bill will discuss in his message today, the Lord isn't always determined to end our suffering as quick as possible. In his study, you'll also learn how the Lord has no desire for us to live in fear, but to trust in Him and draw the strength we need from Him. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Revelations chapter 2 as he continues his message, The Church of Smyrna. On your worst moment in the worst day of your life, you can't be mad at God. Because here's the thing. Some people are mad at God for not keeping a promise he never made. God never said you wasn't going to go through it. He never said you wouldn't get a disease. He never said somebody love you wouldn't die or leave you or go wrong. And so you mad at God like he made a promise he didn't keep. That's not right. Then the flip side is Satan's got you isolated because if you're mad at God, fall out of fellowship. I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to go to church. Satan's like, I got you. I'm about to wreck havoc in your life. It's over. That's a lose-lose situation. Don't ever get mad at God. Get mad at the devil. You can get mad at the circumstance. You can look in the mirror and get mad at yourself, but don't get mad at God. Amen? You guys remember the book of Job? Satan had an agenda. God and Satan had a discussion in the unseen realm. God is bragging on Job. God tells Satan, hey, what you, where you been? Satan says, I've been going back and forth, to and fro, you know, ruining lives and such. I paraphrase. And God said to him, have you considered, that word considered means study for war, have you considered my servant Job? And then God boasted. He said, there's none like him in all the land. Upright, blameless, fears God, shuns evil. Have you checked him out? Satan says, well, as a matter of fact, I have. And there's a hedge about him and all that he has on every side. How does Satan know that? He couldn't get through. Hedge about him and all that he has on every side. And then Satan said this. He made this accusation against Job. He says, Job doesn't love you for nothing. He just loves you because you've blessed him so much. Let me touch his things. and He will surely curse you to your face. So everything Satan did to Job was with the agenda that Job would get mad at God. That's what he wanted. Satan wanted Job. Satan heard God brag on Job and says, I will make him curse you to your face. And so Satan got permission from God to touch all that he had, but not touch him. And look what he did. He took all his wealth. He was a wealthy man. All of his stuff gone in one day. And then his children all died in one day. That's enough to blow anybody away. One kid died. All the kids died. And Job got that information back to back to back to back to back, just overwhelming fashion. And then God came back and said, hey, what happened? You know, what's going on? He said, oh, Satan says skin for skin. All that a man has, he'll give for his own flesh. And God said, you can touch him, but you can't take his life. And Satan struck Job with boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet and took his health away. 
And he sat there and it says that Job sitting in this pot shirt, you know, with ashes, this pitiful condition that he was in, tore his clothes. And what did Job do? He worshiped, which is the opposite of curse. He worshiped God in that moment. Um, that had to be the biggest in your face where God was like, I thought he was going to curse me. The boy worshiping, you know, on the worst day of his life. And then he goes through the rest of these tests. At the end of the book, God blesses Job's life. He blesses him things. He, God replenished all of his stuff. God gave him kids again. And God gave him an extra long life to enjoy his kids and grandkids for three generations. God's intention was a blessing in the end. But you go back to the beginning of that book. What did Satan want? He wanted Job to curse God, get mad at God. He even Somehow Satan even got it into Miss Job. Miss Job went to Job and said, Job, do you still hold fast your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Well, we know she got that from the devil because those were the words that came out of his mouth. And I don't know how they got into Miss Job's mouth, but they did. But they, 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 they made it because they, they had kids together later. But Miss Job was tripping. Amen. <laughs> so don't get mad at God when you're going through it because you need him like never before. And the beautiful thing in the book of Job, the largest portion of the book of Job is his interaction with God. A man that already knew and loved God was going to learn a lot more about God through his trial. He'll be better for it at the end. Amen. Not worse, but better. And so so will you. So if you're going through it, you're disappointed, you're bummed out. Don't be disappointed with the Lord. Understand that sometimes it's God's process to take us through persecution. He doesn't want to pluck you out of it. He wants to strengthen you in the midst of it. Amen. So he tells him again, I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, uh, but are the synagogue of Satan. Look at verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. God says, I don't want you to fear. I don't want you to be afraid. Do not fear. Literally, the translation here means stop being afraid. They were already afraid. And God says, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you guys to hear this because it's so important. God doesn't want believers to fear anything or anybody but him. Why? Because fear gives control, right? If you become fearful, if you make decisions based on fear, Fear will take the place of God in your life. God wants to have supremacy, lordship. He wants you to say, Father, what do you want me to do? Father tells you what to do and you obey him. But if you operate in fear, fear will take God's place. Let's say God is saying, I want you to go do that. And you're saying, I fear my finances won't work out if I do that. So I'm afraid that that won't work out. Therefore, you fear finances. You fear your provision. You fear that that won't work out. Fear is now keeping you from obeying God in an area of your life. There's some people that are afraid that God won't do them right. God, there are people that are, you know, waiting on God and God is taking too long to bring them a spouse or bring them a person. And they're fearful that if, if I wait on God, it's not going to work out. So I'm going to go do it myself. Fear that God won't be faithful. Fear that, you know, God's going to wait too long or somehow you're going to lose out. Some people are afraid if they let God choose, he's going to choose somebody holy and ugly or uh, whatever. And so you name it, fear will mislead you. But this is important over here because they were dealing with fear that is directly related to your faith. Fold on your faith, right? Don't honor God. Don't give, don't give honor to God. Give honor to Caesar. And God says, I don't want you to fear. The, the threats are getting ready to turn up. It's going to go beyond poverty. It's going to go to physical damage. They're going to, some of you are going to maybe die even for this. He says, don't fear them. I don't want you to be afraid of them. And can I tell you something? There's something freeing about not operating in fear, not being willing to be afraid. Something that I credit my mother with. Uh, the way my mom raised me, my mom grew up, at, I found out as I was an adult, my mom was in a, a household as a child where she was beaten. Later on, my mom and some of her sisters endured molestation in-house 
through a stepbrother. My mom then just overthrew her life. And so my mom was just, there was something ingrained in her where she did not want us to be victims. She did not want us to be victimized or bullied. And so I trip out today when I see all this non-bullying campaign. This, that. And my mom's antidote was this. No, you're going to fight whoever. I had an issue, issue at school. There was a kid that we would fight after school, back and forth, back and forth. He had a cousin that came to my school. So now it was two on one. And I remember my mom rolling up one day to pick me up. And I was just out there shuffling with these guys. And I'm like, oh, oh my mom saved me. And I was running to the car. My mom said, oh, no. She said, no, you're going to go back. If she's getting out of the car, you're going to go back and hit him. He's not going to jump in. I'll be right there. You're going to go fight him. My mom was like, this is not going to happen every day. You're going to right back. Go get it. Um, I had somebody jack me for a bike. And my mom's boyfriend took me to the guy's house. And they said, no, you're going to fight him and get your bike back and end this. It's going to end right here. I'll watch. No one's jumping in. That was her antidote. As I got older, I realized it's a benefit to not being fearful easily, to not being made afraid of things. Fear has a, 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 it's got torment and control over it. You got some people that are so afraid of things and it's like, man, you're tormented. You're under, people control you through fear. But if you don't fear, they don't have control. I'm not afraid. What's the worst that could happen? You win. You beat me up. Whatever. You know, but I won't lose. You're not going. That was my mom's. Even if you lose, you, you, do, you get some in, you know, and that was just my upbringing. I'm not saying it's the Christian way or anything like that. Don't ask my kids what we taught them. But, you know, <laughs> they don't need bully campaigns. That's all that, you know, so. But God is saying to them here, I don't want you to be afraid because, again, fear does involve torment. Fear does give control to somebody that's not God. God says, I want control. Fear me. No one else deserves to be feared anyway. So he says, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Notice he doesn't say, I'm going to take away the suffering. God's, I mean, imagine being the pastor of this church and they've been suffering and they, he's reading the letter and the letter doesn't say, I'm going to fix all your problems and take away the suffering. It actually says it's going to get worse, but don't be afraid. Y'all are about to suffer. I'm going to set a time frame on it. He says, don't fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. You will have tribulation 10 days. So a few things here. The source of the tribulation is who? The devil. He's got to say, look, the devil's going to bring the tribulation. Um, he's going to. This is something that we got to recognize, too, that Satan tem, Satan's temptation is many times God's test. It's the same situation. But from Satan, it's a temptation for you to fail. From God, it's a test to prove you. The situation with Job, from Satan, it was a temptation for Job to curse God and die. From God, it was a test. I'm allowing Job to go through this test to prove him. I already said he was upright, blameless, fear God and shun evil. Now we're going to prove it. And he gets proven. The test, the temptation that you go through that God allows in our lives for this group, he's God said, I'm going to allow it. It's going to last 10 days. Don't be afraid of them. You're going to endure. The devil's going to put some of you in the prison. You're going to be tested. You're going to have tribulation 10 days, but don't fear them. Don't buckle. Don't recant. Don't bow the knee. Don't, don't not name the name of Christ. Let, after that, he says, be faithful unto death. Here's the thing. Some of them are going to be pressed until they got to die for their faith. What if you were put in a scenario where you're going to either recant Christ or die? How many of us stand that? How many of us withstand? We don't live in that culture. We don't live in that area. But you know there are believers today that live under that? 
Um, we got brothers and sisters in other parts of the world that are enduring that level of persecution right now. There, there are people that live for Christ in areas where, I mean, if, if they get found out, beatings, burned alive, women raped, families pillaged, everything else, that's today in other parts of the world. It's not like that in America. And, we, and if, we don't, if we don't pay attention to what's happening in other parts of the world, we can be disconnected from those realities. But there are brave believers in other parts of the world that are enduring that. There are pastors getting yanked out of churches and burned and beaten publicly on streets by Muslims and other beliefs and practices and whatnot. And so when he says this here, don't, don't, don't cower, man. I want you to be faithful even to death. God is saying, even if it means you got to die for it, I want you to stand your ground. I want, you to, I want you to hold your ground. I don't want you to fold. I don't want you to recant. There's a story, I've heard it, and I, I don't know if it's a true or fictitious story. I just always have liked it, you know, for, the, for its, you know, the message that it gives. It speaks about some area where believers were in heavy persecution. It might have been China or it could have been somewhere else. I don't remember exactly where it was, but there was a believers secretly gathering, and uh, some armed men with masks came into the room and they pointed their guns at everybody and said, everybody here, that's a, that's a, if you believe in Jesus Christ, I want you to stand against the wall. We're going to kill you guys. If you don't believe, get out right now. And a number of the people from the congregation left out. And afterwards, they said the men took off their mask and said, we just want to know who the true Christians were. Yeah. No, imagine, imagine that you left, right? How do you come back to church? Like, <laughs> God, God knows my heart, you know, some old weak mess like that. I mean, how do you even come back? So. They, you know, there are men that left. I don't know if that's true or fictitious, but, you know, imagine that, that there would be some people that would have stood their ground and just said, I got to die today, but I'm not going to recant, I'm not going to deny Christ. Um, that's what he's telling them here. They're living under that level of persecution. And he says, look, Satan is about to throw some of you in the prison. He's going to bring it heavy. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. And if I could convey something to us as believers in this day, man, don't fear anything but God. We want to fear the Lord. There should be an awe and a reverence for the Lord, a recognition of his power. Uh, God, I'm afraid to, to go against you in any way, but then fear for nobody else and nothing else. Boldness everywhere else. Courage everywhere. What's the worst that could happen to me? I'm going to heaven. Amen. However I got to get there, I'm going to heaven. That's the fact. And I found this is where maybe doing missions is valuable because some of what we don't see here, we'll see it and other parts of the world. I'm right now on Fridays, I got the privilege of ministering to a group of pastors in Haiti. And we do, I'm doing a Bible class with them on, on Fridays from nine to 11. And I'm asking them, what are the challenges where they are? And it's, for them, it's, it's raw. There's lots of voodoo and there's, there's strong disbelief about what they believe and what they preach and what they're learning. And when they go out into the streets and preach, they might get punched. They might get popped. They might get robbed. They might have things taken from them. It's not, you know, I can go anywhere here. You know, we do these classes. I'm like, everybody go find someone and share. Ain't nobody going to punch me for sharing here. Not really. You know, so I, I, was, I dare you, you know, so I, I, it's, it's not like that, you know, but there are parts of the world where, nah, they, they, they really have the, the, the numbers are not in favor of the believer. The believer is the minority minority. And they deal with a level of persecution. And so he tells them, don't fear. You're going to be tested. Um, you'll have tribulation for 10 days. And he says this, be faithful to death. And he makes a promise to those that do. I will give you the crown of life. God says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. The crown here that is talking about, there's two different crowns 
we see in the, in the New Testament. One is a crown that would be given to a king, kind of a crown of royalty. That's not what's spoken of here. The crown that's spoken of here is, um, is one that was given to a winner at the end of an Olympic event, at the end of a race, at the end of, at the end of some kind of race or contest. Uh, in the Greek, it was Stephanos. And Christ is saying, look, I want you to finish your race. I'll reward you afterwards. I'm going to give you this crown, the crown of life, he says. And that's what he wants to do for them. I want to give you the crown of life. I want you to be, you guys will be my winners at the end of this, but I want you to endure to the end. Before I get done here, we're almost done, but I told you guys in each one of these lessons, I'm going to tell you, what does this teach me about Christ? What does this teach me about Jesus? As I read this letter to this persecuted group of Christians, this is what it teaches me about Jesus. It's not always Jesus' will to pull me out of trouble. Know that about your Lord. Be informed about that about your Jesus. It's not always his will to pull you out of trouble. Know this about your Lord. It's not his will that you be fearful of anything or anybody but him. If you live under the fear of anything today, if there's some kind of fear that controls you, if there's something that doesn't come from God that you walk in the fear of, you should today deal with that. Overcome that. Jump that hurdle. Get, don't let anything keep you captive to fear. You just want to fear the Lord. If it's not from him, if it's not fear of him, if it's some other kind of fear, you want to get out from under it because it can control you and keep you from being what he wants you to be. And there's a, again, there's a freedom in just fearing God. There's a total freedom in just fearing him. You got one person to please. You got one person to live. It's a lot easier to live for one person than it is to be living for fear and all these other different things. And so uh, we learned that about the Lord. We learned this, that while it may be difficult on earth, it'll be worth it in eternity. God's not encouraging you to live for this life. He's encouraging you to live for the one to come. God's not saying it's going to be really great for you down here. I'm going to bless you and prosper you and give you and give you and give you. He's saying it's going to be rough down here, but I'm going to reward you over there. Live for eternity. Some people teach things as though we're all going to get everything right now. Not the case. That's not a promise that we're going to all have it good and great in this life. Some people are going to struggle in this life. You read your Bible. Paul didn't have it great in this life, but I bet you it's great for him right now. Amen. And it'll be great for him for eternity. He lived a full life for the Lord. He finished his race at the end of his life. He said, man, I've completed everything God gave me to do. That's how you want to finish this thing. Last thing is look at verse 11. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church is. And we see this to each church. And even though this letter is addressed to that church, but it's written to all the churches. There'll be parts of each letter that apply to different people in this room. And maybe you, something applied to you from Ephesus. Maybe you left your first love and needed to come back. Maybe you listen to this one and think, man, I'm fearful of persecution, or I let this control me, or I don't honor God in this way. He says, let everyone that has an ear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We always want to have an ear to say, God, whatever you're speaking to me about as we read your word, convict me where I need to be convicted, encourage me where I need encouragement, challenge me where I need to be challenged. But Lord, let your word have its way in my life. May, may this never be a dead, empty, vain practice for you and I, that we just listen to the Bible and go and, and, and are unchanged. Uh, may we always be changed by the things that the Lord is saying through his word. Then he makes a promise that he makes to all the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The overcomers in every letter are the believers. But him to him who overcomes, he says, he who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? And for that, everybody turn to Revelation 20. We're going to read verses 11 through 15. We'll close with that. What is the second death? 
Revelation 20, 11 through 15, it says this, Revelation 20, 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. This is the books that contain the deeds of a person's life, their sins, and it's the book of life. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. Imagine that all your sins and thought or deed for, for your whole life are written down in books. Imagine that. Think about how long you've been living and how long you've been sinning. How, how many books would there be, right? Now, for you and I that are believers, what happened to our books? Gone. Washed away. The blood of Christ. There are no books. But for those, this, these, are, these people here are not saved. And all their sins are before them. It's like a court case to be read out as an indictment against them. And, and there's a Lamb's book of life and their name's not going to be found. in. look what it says. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the second death is, is hell. Amen. For those that don't believe hell exists, don't believe there's a place of eternal torment. You have to work real hard to explain to me what this is. Well, what does a lake of fire do? It don't sound like a jacuzzi or a comforting thing. So all those whose names are not found in the book of life or judgment is read against them. They're thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death. Again, God tells this group of believers, that those who overcome, um, you will not be hurt by the second death. That's a promise to you and me. We know that we have no part in hell. Amen. We will not be hurt by the second death for us. When we die, we go to be with the Lord. For the believer to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord, this is not our reality. And this is what we're living for. We're living for eternity. I, I keep hearing that from the Lord. He's not speaking comfort in what you're dealing with now. He's saying, but you'll, it'll be worth it then. It'll be worth it then to have been an overcomer, right? Maybe there are people here that are tempted to, to not continue with the Lord because it would be easier for right now. But imagine those that denounce Christ for the comfort of now and spend eternity in hell. That's a bad deal. That's a terrible deal. It'd be better to endure hardship now and know that I'm going to be with him for eternity. Understand that there would definitely be people in hell that knew the gospel but wouldn't yield to it for some comfort now, for something right. Whatever it was that they wanted right now, they had it, but they didn't have him. It'll never be worth it to do that. And so as we end this letter, the letter to the persecuted church, I want you to note that God keeps pointing them. Their hope is in the future. Their hope about what they're dealing with is in the future. Their hope was not in the now. It was in the life to come. The rewards are coming. The promises are coming. The avoidance of destruction, real destruction, the second death is coming. But God said this to them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be faithful even to death. And I will leave you guys with that. If you're here and you're a believer and you can name anything that you fear that's not God, I encourage you to confess it and ask God to strengthen you today that we would walk out of here bold, courageous in Jesus' name, that there wouldn't be any fear that's controlling you or hindering you. If there are things that you say, man, I've been afraid to do that, that you would choose to overcome that. You could choose to overcome it. You don't have to be afraid of anything. And whatever it is, there's stuff that God's called you to do that you have been afraid to do. Do it. Just go. The way you overcome fear is you just go do what you were afraid of. Just go do it. 
Do it and fail, do, but just do it and, and let it be what it's going to be, but get it done. That's my exhortation to you. My loving exhortation to you is go do it, whatever that is. If there's something you know you're called to do, but your fear has hindered you from ever stepping out or doing it, this week, go do it. Do some part of it. Do it somewhere, but go do it. Don't be controlled by fear. Be controlled by the spirit of the living God. Amen. Thanks for joining us here on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through this very interesting book of Revelation. At first glance, the book can be extremely confusing and downright terrifying. But for the believer, this book brings hope that God will bring and make things right despite all the turmoil that will occur here on earth. Does learning and hearing about Revelation cause some anxiety? Or are you at peace with what God's Word says? Wherever you are at today with these prophecies of things to come, we want you to know that we're praying for you and would love to hear from you. Please call or text us at 310-245-4811. That number again is 310-245-4811. If you're looking for a place to plug in, you're welcome to join us for church this weekend too. Check out our service information for Calvary Chapel Inglewood on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. We're offering online services, so look on our website or join our live stream on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. There are links for these on our website. Again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. While you're there, be sure to check out more of Pastor Bill's messages from this series and from other books of the Bible. Just look under the media tab for additional messages to listen to, download, or share with others. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next time as Pastor Bill looks further into the book of Revelation. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to another edition of A Transforming Word. Transforming Word.